Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. It's College Football Impact. The CFI crew here on the CFP podcast. Yeah, that's right. If it sounds a little different, life happens. And when you're on the field and the play doesn't line up as designed, you check, you audible. All the good players, the good coaches, they're prepared for that. They've got contingency plan after contingency plan. And that's exactly what we do here, the the three of us here on College Football Impact. And I am your host, Chappie, from Michigan. I've got my boy, Mike Waxman, from Columbus, Ohio, and Mr. Pat Sullivan and Junior out in Boston, Mass. Gentlemen, how are we feeling after yet another weekend of college football? I can't believe we're already on week 12. Sadly, there's only two weeks left in the regular season, and then we've got conference championship time. And then we've got a a nice month of bowl games, which I have always screamed, don't ever take away my bowl games. I don't think you can have too much. But uh, things are getting closer to chaos, especially as we get into the last two weeks. So what are your thoughts? Let's kick off. What's on your mind from this weekend? Mr. Waxman out in Columbus. Let's start with you in CBUS. Thanks a lot, Chappie. I will say that I also, like you, love November. You've got rivalry games. You've got huge implications with these last couple of weekends. And we as you said, may have some chaos. So uh, I, for one, am looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to make my point right now. Uh, last night, the committee released its uh, second or its uh, set of rankings. And as we kind of figured, nothing, nothing much changed in the top seven. Yep. I was a little bit interested to see if they would write their wrong with Michigan State still being behind Michigan. But we'll talk about the rankings later in a different segment. My point is kind of the reactions that I've been seeing to the rankings. I see this on Twitter and on Facebook and just kind of on the television. Everyone is getting so bent out of shape about the inconsistencies of the committee and how they're saying one thing, but their actions show another. We've been doing this long enough for people to know that these rankings don't matter. They won't matter until December when the final ones are unveiled. I mean, right now it's all theater. So people can say, well, they're doing Michigan State dirty or they're doing Cincinnati dirty. All of this stuff is going to work itself out. Most of these contenders in the top 10 are going to be playing each other or playing teams that could knock them off. So there will be some movement these last couple of weekends. And it's just a matter of what is it that they're trying to accomplish? Some people think they should pick the best teams. Some people think they should pick the most deserving teams. You've got this branch over here saying that it's already rigged. You've got this branch saying, well, no, Cincinnati's got a real shot and let's hope for chaos. It's just Let's just calm down and enjoy the games. Take the rankings for what they are, which is a television program and banter and theater. And the only time that anyone's ire should be raised is on that Sunday morning, Sunday noon, when the final ones are unveiled, if there is a really huge discrepancy, then we can all kind of get the pitchforks out and maybe go after Gary Barta and the committee. But for right now, just chill and enjoy the games. Bingo. And you hit it right on the head. It is theater. Uh, it's There's no such thing as bad publicity. And who's the station that has exclusive rights to the college football playoff rankings? It's ESPN. They're a network. They're looking for ratings. And so – I agree that the committee is setting some teams up to where once they earn their way over another team, it's set up and the the committee looks like geniuses. Case in point is Michigan. Um, 
and Michigan State. So Michigan State, if they beat Ohio State this weekend, there's no way that the committee can keep them behind U of M, who they beat head to head. But if they lose, the committee looks like they're smarter than the rest because of the fact that Michigan State will now have their second loss and it will be a moot point and Michigan will deserve to be ahead anyway. And then the Wolverines will have their chance to move up or stay ahead of Sparty if they beat Ohio State in that final weekend. So I agree with you 100% wax. Sully, your thoughts. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you said it right there, uh, that chappy. You know, ESPN does one thing better than anything, and it's great drama. So, you know, the way that they do their the rankings, the way that they release these, it's it's you know, it's theater, it's dramatic. So they they live for it. They they love to have the fodder. They love to have, you know, uh, all the, the talking heads there debate. Hey, did they get it right? Did they get it wrong? Like that's that's what they live for. So there's no doubt that uh, that they add to the drama. Uh, but listen, I think this is a big weekend here for the Pac-12. Um, you know, you got Ohio. Uh, Oregon in, in the third place right now, uh, you know, because of their big win against Ohio State. And this is a make or break week for the Pac-12. They've only made the college football playoffs twice in, uh, in the history of the sport, which is uh, the same amount as independent Notre Dame. Uh, it's a big weekend because you've got Utah, who's definitely on the outside of the, of the CFP. I mean, they're ranked top 25, but they get no shot at making it. And they get a big home game against Oregon. And I've always called the Pac-12 the, the cannibal conference because they eat up on each other. And I think we're going to see that again this weekend. But this is a make or break for the Pac-12. If they want to be taken serious, they got to get back in the CFP. And this is their best chance they got this weekend. Yeah, and we'll talk more about this. I've got some thoughts on the Pac-12 when we get into one of our later segments called Conference Calls. But I want to let everybody know, and I want to apologize for most of the media. Now, yes, I will speak for others, even if they don't want me to. But Stetson Bennett... On behalf of most of the media, we all owe you an apology, sir. So here's a guy who, myself included, Chappie, who loves to prognosticate and pick and predict. I had Stetson Bennett fourth on the depth chart because of everything that I read from Georgia with JT Daniels possibly being a Heisman candidate, looking good. He was going to be healthy this year. And even behind him, Brock Vandegrift, Carson Beck, two freshmen who – were five stars, I believe. I know Vandegrift was. I'm pretty sure Carson Beck was. And here's Stetson Bennett, who had his shot last year, went up against Alabama, and they made him look completely impotent. And most of the college football world left Stetson Bennett for dead. All he's done is quarterback the number one team in the country, which, by the way, is more than just a good defense. That offense can hold its own. He's completing 65% of his passes, 1,625 yards, and keep in mind, they don't throw the ball nearly as much as a lot of the other top 10 or top 25 teams, and also, they've been so far ahead, their margin of victory is so wide this year that there's no need for them to throw, and Kirby Smart would be absorbing darts and daggers from the his fellow coaches in the SEC if they were to throw. He's got a 15-4 to touchdown-to-interception ratio. He's only been sacked five times, and that's really one big advantage he has over JT Daniels is his mobility. Case in point, on 35 carries this year, Bennett averages 6.7 yards, and that's including sacks. Um, he also has run for a touchdown, and he's played well against some good defenses. He completed 83% of his passes and threw a touchdown against – or threw five touchdowns against UAB – Traditionally a pretty good defense under Bill Clark. Arkansas under Barry Odom's defense, he completed 64% of his passes, even though no touchdowns. Again, 
a big win for the dogs against Auburn, 67% and two touchdowns. And then against Kentucky, which Mark Stoops has built that program around defense. Bennett went 70% for three touchdowns. So this is a guy who, um, you know, many people now aren't even really worried when JT Daniels comes back. Cause when he went down, a lot of people were saying, well, is Georgia going to fall? And they watched Daniels wince in pregame warmups and they said, I don't know if they've got it. And now people are almost saying, Oh, that's right. They did have JT Daniels because Stetson Bennett has played so remarkable. I think it's a great story. Here's a guy who was a walk-on, left Georgia to be to go to junior college because they really didn't have a spot for him, even though he was dubbed and, and played Baker Mayfield on the scout team in prep for the 2018 Rose Bowl against um, Oklahoma in one of the great postseason classics in college football history. Then he comes back and earns a starting job not once, but twice. So he got it last year. It was then uh, maybe fairly or unfairly taken from him. And then he comes back this year when his team needs him. And he has this team basically a big gap ahead of Alabama, Ohio State, and Oregon in some people's eyes. So, um, But let's hope for Georgia fans that he does better in his second act, presumably against Alabama in the SEC championship better than what he showed last year. And I think that his supporting cast and his surrounding mates, which, by the way, could include George Pickens coming back for that SEC championship, I think the odds look a little bit better for Bennett this time around. Before we move on to our next segment, uh, some quick news and notes here, fellas, and chime in if you have any thoughts. But uh, some injuries in college football. Kyle Hamilton, All-American safety for Notre Dame. He's going to be out for six weeks with a knee injury, which most likely sidelines him for the rest of the season unless they make the college football playoff. He might have a chance to return then, but then he might be risking his draft status, and, and you never know um, what that's going to be like if, if things go sour. B. John Robinson out for the rest of the season with an elbow injury, and it might be for good anyway because I think that the way Texas has not been performing lately, um, it, it might be better off. That I mean, he's going to be basically blanketed by that bad publicity from his surrounding team anyway. Bo Nix and Anders Carlson for Auburn, the quarterback and their All-American place kicker, both out for the season. So that makes Auburn not as sexy of a uh, an underdog pick against Bama in the Iron Bowl in two weeks. Uh, we have some coaches out. Jimmy Lake, gone from Washington. Justin Fuente, gone from Virginia Tech. Butch Davis, uh, under his eyes, gone, thankfully, from FIU, claiming that the administration is sabotaging the program anyway. Uh, other news, Brett Bielema in coaching. He is not going to coach against Iowa, his alma mater, this weekend because he's tested positive for COVID, so he'll be out for that contest. Um, Jimbo Fisher makes it a little clear that he will stay at Texas A&M, and they just landed the number three running back recruit, giving them most likely the number one recruiting class going into that December early signing period. And he said, quote, I'd have to be the dumbest human being if I did go. Because why would you, and now I'm paraphrasing, but why would somebody bring in the number one recruiting class and then leave to go to the same division in the same conference to coach against all these elite, talented players that you yourself brought in? So any thoughts on those news or notes or anything else uh, that we want to contribute here, Wax or Sully? Um, yeah, Chappie, I, I do definitely want to uh, give props where it's deserved to, uh, to the Wax Acts. You know, we asked him this week, who's his top five walking dead coaches? He gave us a list. You can check it out on our uh, our Twitters. And uh, one of them he put was Justin Fuente. And not even 24 hours after the Wax Axe list came out, 
Fuentes was axed over Virginia Tech. So, you know, dead men walking on that list right there. And uh, Wax, I'll let you read those those five to our listeners. But you know what? Tip of the hat to you, sir, because uh, you called that one pretty quickly. Yeah, well, and I think that Miami may have, I think I just read that maybe they got rid of their athletic director, which yes, I they think did. the person who hired Manny. So yep. I think Manny's got maybe two games left. Um, and as for Dan Mullen, who was my number two choice, I kind of think the decision's already been made, but maybe something happens these last couple of weekends where they look like a real team and there's a change of heart. But I just, that thing has gone south from the firing of Todd Grantham to just everything that's gone on. That just has, that was one I really expected Florida to be a major player this year with Georgia. And it, it just hasn't worked. And part of the reason was his mismanagement of quarterbacks, which you would not expect from Dan Mullen, considering that's the position he's kind of been the guru at. So, um, so those were my top three. I had David Cutcliffe at four more because, I mean, he's done great things at Duke, but they've gotten real stagnant the last few years. He is getting older. They may just need like a new voice to kind of revitalize things. Um, and then fifth, I can't even, Oh, Herm. And I think when this investigation's over, I don't think it's going to be Herm's choice. I think that they're going to find stuff and I think they're just going to have him leave. So, um, so those are my five. I could go five for five. I think at the worst, I'll go three for five. But the one note that I wanted to touch on that you had, I feel really bad for Bijan because he's obviously one of the most exciting running backs in the game. And kind of the, the way he went out sort of with a whimper rather than, than with a yell playing in like a, a finally getting some big yardage and touchdowns in a game. It just kind of, it was, it was a hand injury. You don't expect that from a running back, but he, he can't play. And Texas is another one with dysfunction and he is a sophomore and I hear rumblings. I don't know if I buy this, but people are saying maybe he looks for greener pastures somewhere. I don't know. I think that, that, that Sark running backs can flourish under Sark. I just think that Sark needs to turn the page Whoever wants to leave can leave. He starts at square one, put the focus around Bijan next year and, and let him go. And he'll still be a high draft pick. So, so those are my thoughts on that. All right. So before we move on to our next segment, conference calls, we like to throw out trivia questions and wax. You're normally our, our expert trivia guy, but I wanted to give you a chance to, to be on the fun side of it too. So here's a trivia question for you. There are currently five, and that could change with uh, maybe some firings coming up, but there are currently five FCS coaches who have won a national championship as a player. Can you name at least three of them and what team they played for when they got their ring as a player? As a player? Yep. Head coaches. Um, oh, jeez, I got to go through all this. Was Dabo on an Alabama team that won a title? Dabo was one of them. He was on the 92 team. Um, Chip Kelly won with UNH. <laughs> no, we're talking at the FCS level. Was Mark Stoops a player who won one? No, not that I – no, he did not. And actually, I, I got the number wrong. There's four. There's four total players. So, so Dabo is one. We're going to need a hint here. Okay. Um, there are two guys from Oklahoma's 2000 national championship team under Bob Stoops. Ah, Josh Heupel. Josh Heupel is another. This other one coaches in the uh, Conference USA and probably uh, might be on his way out this year. Seth Luttrell. Seth Luttrell. And then there's one more FCS coach 
who won a national championship or at least a share of one. And he also may be on his way out, if not this year, because he's had it restructured, but possibly next year if things don't improve. Mm. In the Big Ten, the team he won it for played in the Big uh, 8 at the time, or the Big 12, I should say. But the team he coaches for is now in the Big Ten. Fitzy. Nope. Sadly, he did not win a national championship. It is Scott Frost. So I'm I'm throwing that in there because Nebraska – and one half claimed a share of the national title yes. with 97 Michigan. But yeah, he's the other one. So Josh Heupel and Seth Luttrell on that Oklahoma 2000 team, Scott Frost with Nebraska in 97, Dabble Swinney with Alabama in 92. All right, gentlemen, so let's move on to segment two, which we call conference calls. And this is what we like to do every week where the three of us divide up the power five and then also lumping the group of five in there. So six groups – and we each take two of them. And so let's start with you, Wax. Start us off in the Big Ten. What are some thoughts and topics of conversation in the Big Ten Conference right now? Well, certainly um, you've got this weekend showdown in Columbus that is a de facto elimination game for the CFP between Michigan State and Ohio State. Both have one loss. There is no margin for error. Um, there's high stakes in it, and this is what I talked about in my opening. This is why I love this game. But some of the other stuff that's going on um, just today, Mel Tucker got uh, – you mentioned that uh, Jimbo got restructured. Mel Tucker got a huge contract increase today, ostensibly to keep him from moving to LSU because I know that he has been – his name has been bandied about in the wind for the LSU job. Yep. So he got a big-time extension. Um and I think that we're, see, we're seeing, uh, going to the other side in the West, um, I think we're seeing the Wisconsin team that we expected to see from the beginning. They've reeled off six in a row. Graham Mertz is actually looking good. I know that they lost Ches Malusi, but they've still got a running back train that's working. And I think that really, they win this week. I, I, mathematically, it may not be clinched, but if they win this week, I think that they can all but punch their ticket to Indianapolis. And um, it, it, it's really kind of a, a nice story because we kind of left them for dead after Notre Dame just throttled them. And they've really kind of picked themselves from the ashes. And um, they've gotten into the middle part of the CFP rankings. And that defense, I don't care if it's Ohio State, Michigan State, that defense is going to make you work for everything. So kudos yep. to the job that Paul Christ has done the second half of the season writing the Wisconsin ship. And how about Ohio State? I mean, people who say that we need expansion of the playoff. Look, Ohio State, their next five games are all elimination games. Michigan State, Michigan next weekend, presumably the Big Ten Championship. If they win these next two weeks, then they will most notably or most certainly make the CFP, and they'll have to play that semifinal game and then the final game. So the next five contests for the Buckeyes, assuming that they win each one in front of them, is going to be an elimination. And I think if they win those next five games, obviously they'll be undefeated, but you talk about a team truly earning it down the stretch. It'll be the Buckeyes and they, you know, the Oregon loss earlier in the season will be long forgotten. Um, Sully, take us to the SEC. Yeah. I mean, obviously the big story in the SEC this season is Georgia, uh, but you look at the conference in a whole right now, there's already eight teams that have already uh, become full eligible by winning six games. There's another four teams that could win a game this weekend and become bowl eligible. Right now, only Vanderbilt uh, is a team in the SEC that is not bowl eligible, being two and eight overall. LSU at four and six, they could win out and still make, uh, I guess, what you call a, the, 
I guess the bowl season, the postseason. So, you know, it's uh, once again, it's it's pretty much, you know, the real conference of champions and, and everybody's uh, vying for a bowl game. But really the two big teams left, uh, Georgia, um, already set for uh, for going to Atlanta for the SEC championship win in the East and Alabama all but wrapping up the West. Um, Ole Miss, just one game behind them, but obviously Alabama owing the tiebreaker. Alabama has Arkansas this weekend and Auburn next weekend. But, um, I mean, guys, I don't, I don't think you can get uh, a bigger conference championship game than you can get with Alabama and Georgia. We thought last year yes, Clemson and Notre Dame was big in the ACC. Yeah. This, uh, this trumps that for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's one of the situations where right now you're looking at Ohio State's at number four and, you know, Oregon at number three and, and all that's well and good. But what really happens if Alabama goes in and beats Georgia in, in the SEC championship? Then the SEC most likely has two teams in. And I'm not even sure that if Alabama goes and loses the close game that they're not in with two losses, which would really just make everybody's head explode. But you guys know me. I love anarchy. I want the craziest situations to happen. And whatever the craziest outcome is, I'm here for it. Uh, I love to read everybody going crazy on Twitter. I like to see Reese Davis and all those guys, their heads explode. So I'm here for it. But uh, once again, the SEC providing all the entertainment that, uh, that, that we really need and what we're accustomed to. You know, last year, Alabama's win, uh, winning the, the SEC championship and the national championship, I called it the most impressive season we've seen in a long time because they played 10 SEC games to get to where they were. Uh, this year, the team's obviously going back to eight, but uh, you know, for Georgia to rip off eight SEC games and, and, and go undefeated their first time ever going eight and that's damn impressive. Um, yeah. You know, granted they didn't place uh, Alabama in the regular season. They didn't, they didn't play, uh, you know, an entire West conference in the West, obviously the better of the SEC sides uh, with just about everybody except for LSU already in a bowl game. But uh, you know, it's, it's a great time to be an SEC fan. Yeah. So let's jump to the PAC 12 and we kind of touched on some of these things earlier, the big matchup this weekend between Oregon number three and Utah number 23 guys, did you know, and you're probably not going to be surprised. This is the, only ranked team versus ranked team Pac-12 matchup so far this season. I mean, we're in week 12, and it took us this long to get two ranked Pac-12 teams facing off. Uh, not very good. Um, but each team could lose between now and next week and still represent their divisions in the Pac-12 championship. So really, it comes down to can they finish in their finale? Um now, the Pac-12 is self-promoted as the Conference of Champions, like you mentioned, Sully. This could be the Conference of Coaching Changes next year. They will already see at least three new sideline sergeants next season, USC, Washington State, and Washington. But there's uncertainty about Chip Kelly at UCLA, Justin Wilcox at Cal, which, by the way, I think one of those two could be the next head man up in Seattle. And then there's also the possibility of Mario Cristobal maybe going south to L.A., maybe getting entertainment in LSU. So there's not a guarantee that he's coming back in Eugene next season, despite the success that he's had. Um, and don't be completely shocked if half of the Pac-12 will be with a first or second year head coach starting the 2022 campaign. Six of 12 teams, possibly with new head coaches next year. That's astounding to me. Uh, Sully, take us to the ACC. Uh, quickly, your thoughts on Wake Forest and Pitt. Yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, that's really the whole story in the ACC this season. We kind of thought it was Clemson's uh, conference to win, which it's been for the past seemingly almost decade. But Clemson right now is 7-3 and three overall, and they've already got two conference losses. Uh, Wake Forest already wrapping up at the Atlantic. They get a big game this weekend against Clemson. That's more for the CFP rankings. Uh, but, yeah, they, they've wrapped up the Atlantic. And really the big one is Pittsburgh and Virginia. Right, Pittsburgh's at 5-1, and one, Virginia at 4-2. and two. 
trying to buy for the Coastal. Uh, but I think what we all want to see, what I know Chappie and I want to see, is Wake Forest against Pitt for the ACC crown. Uh, for one, because it's probably the two best quarterbacks in the ACC with Sam Hartman and Kenny Pickett, maybe two of the best in, in the whole country. Uh, but it's just so nice to see new blood, right? And Pat Narduzzi. And, you know, it's just, it'd be so fun to watch those two buy it out. I'm not sure either one has a chance at the CFP. Maybe Wake has an outside shot. Uh, but more than anything, I think that would be one hell of a game to watch and really a great accomplishment for that coaching staff, those players, and, and that team. I agree. And, and if those two teams play, two of the coaches that I respect a whole hell of a lot, Dave Kloss and Pat Narduzzi, one of them is going to come out ACC champion for the first time in their coaching career at that school. So it's win-win in, in my regards. Wax, talk to us about the Big 12. Uh, I will do that, but I will say Brian Piccolo is probably looking down somewhere and smiling at the season the Wake Forest is having. That's right. Uh, Big 12, you guys have talked about chaos. We've got it. Oklahoma's reign looks like it could be over, but there is a chance to have a three-way tie with Oklahoma and Baylor and Oklahoma State with what goes on over the uh, next couple of weekends, and that would be the ultimate chaos because you'd have a three-way tiebreaker. And when Dave Aranda kicked the field goal last week at the end of the game, there was some gamesmanship uh, comments. But Dave said, hey, total points is one of the tiebreakers, and it indeed is. So it's something that, that I'm definitely looking forward to these last couple of weekends in the Big 12. Lincoln Riley was bandied about maybe a secret meeting with LSU. Maybe Spencer Rattler has already gone into the transfer portal, although he's still with the team. Um, Oklahoma State has found Jalen Warren and an offense to go with the defense. Baylor's just a great story. So certainly the top of the Big 12 has been very fun to watch. And then, of course, we've got the Texas implosion uh, that, that we're going to continue to follow till the end of the season. Yep. And uh, we're going to finish off with the group of five here before we get to a quick break. But Gary Anderson, the dude needs some love. He and his Utah State Aggies are sitting at eight and two. Five and one in the Mountain West Mountain Division. First place, by the way. If they win out against Wyoming at home and New Mexico in the ABQ, both teams who sit at the bottom of that Mountain Division, the Utah State Aggies will finish 10 and 2 and could host the Mountain West Conference Championship game because it goes to the, the best record in that conference to host it. And San Diego State currently sits as the leader, but they have to play at UNLV this weekend. And then they host Boise State, who's come on of late, to close out the season. And a loss in either of those final two games would drop them behind the Utah State Aggies, assuming that they win out and finish under, or finish 10-2. and two. And Utah State will have the best overall conference record in Anderson's first season. I just think it's awesome with the struggles he went through personally last year, losing his wife to um, illness, and then – Utah State as well, with all of this stuff that was going on last year where players didn't want to play and they boycotted until their their coach at the time was gone or their, I'm sorry, their president was gone. So just a lot of political turmoil. It's nice to see, see things going well in Logan, Utah. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into segment three, our cover four, where we talk about four hard-hitting questions that the three of us are going to answer. This is CFI, College Football Impact, on the CFP Podcast. Cover four. I told you guys, one of my favorites. I love it. There's so much to go into it. And we're back here on College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. 
And it is time for cover four. So we're going to talk about four topics, four questions that deserve some, some consideration and some thought. And we'll see what Mr. Sullivan says, what Mr. Waxman says. And I'm always going to give you my thoughts, whether you want to hear them or not. So gentlemen, let's start with number one. There are a bunch of five win power five teams. That's kind of hard to say playing for a bowl berth the next two weeks. So that means they currently sit at five wins. You need six to automatically qualify. And they've got two weeks to get one more win to at least qualify. It doesn't guarantee them a bowl, but it qualifies them. But being a power five program, that certainly helps. Those teams are Louisville, Syracuse, Miami, and Virginia Tech from the ACC, Maryland and Rutgers from the Big Ten, Washington State from the Pac-12, and then from the SEC, Tennessee, Missouri, South Carolina, and Florida. So, Sully, start with you. Give us three teams that you think are sure to get their bowl bid. Yeah, so, you know, when, you, when you're looking at a 5-5 five and five team this close to the end of the season, uh, and you really look at what they have to play for, it really depends on a lot of things. As seniors, obviously, they want to get to a bowl game. Uh, you know, the coaches want to get to a bowl game. But really, you know, you get a team with a few star players, they're probably not going to be excited to go play in the Pinstripe Bowl or to go play yeah. in the Auto Care Liberty Bowl, right? So you, you got to have a special team that's really going to play for something the last two weeks of the season. Um, and, you know, I think it really comes down to coaching. I think Scott Satterfield is one hell of a coach over in Louisville. I think he has those guys focused. I think they really, really appreciate him and, and uh, will play hard for him. So I think them, uh, I think Miami will get there. Uh, I think that, you know, contrary to what we've seen on, on TV sometimes, I think that they do really like Manny Diaz down there. Um, I think that he finds a way to get out one more victory. If this is his last hurrah, it would certainly mean a lot for him to go out in a bowl game. Um, and I like Maryland. I think that Coach Loxley is, uh, is a really talented coach. Uh, I think little Tua, uh, Tua is going to want to, you know, really try hard to get to the postseason. And, and I just think that those three teams have a good combination of senior leadership, and, uh, and coaches, they can really motivate. So those three guys, those three teams, I think, move on. All right, Wax, who, who makes it for you? What's your three that will likely be bowling, even if it is the pinstripe bowl in beautiful New York City? We, we have different teams, which I think is a good thing. Um, Tennessee is almost all but a lock. They have South Alabama this week. You would assume they'd win that. And then their rivalry game with Vanderbilt. And as we said, Vanderbilt is the only team that really is not in bowl consideration. So Tennessee, almost by dumb luck, is going to win one of those. Probably will win two. So Tennessee is one of them. I also think that South Carolina has a pretty good shot. Yes, they do finish up with Clemson which is not going to be any kind of walk in the park, but they are this week playing against a Bo Nix-less Auburn Tigers. And I'm wondering just how functional that offense is going to be. I mean, Tank's, Tank Bigsby is obviously a very good player, but if there's a quarterback in there that's not used to the offense, that's not the running threat that Bo Nix is, you can bet that they're going to be able to just bring the safeties up and say, hey, we're going to dare you to throw the ball. And we're going to load up on the run. So I think South Carolina gets in. And I also think that Wazoo, with all of the turmoil that they have had this year, I think they get into a bowl game as well. They have Arizona, who has improved, but still is not very good. And then with all the stuff going on at Washington, who's to say that maybe the Huskies don't? You're not going to lay down in a rivalry game, but they may not be as into it as you'd think because of everything that's swirling. So – I think Washington State has a pretty good shot at getting to six, maybe seven. Tennessee is a lead pipe cinch, and I like South Carolina's chances too. 
Yep. So I, I agree with a couple of ones from yours, Wax, and then um, one of yours, Sully. So I think I agree. Tennessee has the easiest road. South Alabama, Vandy, both at home. They're playing good football right now. That up-tempo, uh, Josh Heupel has exceeded my expectations. So I think that they're a lock, plus that tempo offense and the talent they have. And they've got a fan base. So playing at home, it doesn't matter how bad Tennessee can be at times. That fan base still churns out. They are one of the most passionate groups I've ever come across, uh, for better or for worse. I think Wazoo is my next pick. I agree. They play Arizona at home. And then they have to go to Washington for the Apple Cup, which traditionally things have not gone well for the Cougars on the road in the Apple Cup. But um, a good point was made about Jimmy Lake. There were not really any players coming to his defense and saying he shouldn't have been let go or he shouldn't have been suspended for, for the thing that he was seen doing on the sideline. So because of that, I think that there's a lot more unity in that Washington State locker room than there is for Washington. So Wazoo's my number two team to make a bowl. And then I like Louisville as well, Sully. Scott Satterfield, I think, is still being underappreciated as a coach. I think he's still getting uh, a little bit of uh, too much criticism for entertaining the thought of South Carolina last year. Um, I mean, let's face it, South Carolina and the SEC is a step up from Louisville and the ACC. And if that hurts people's feelings, oh, well. Uh, but those are my three teams, Tennessee, Wazoo, and Louisville, as three most likely to make the bowl. Now, question number two. Who is more likely to finish the season undefeated before a bowl game, Cincinnati or UTSA, the Roadrunners? Wax, we'll start with you because I know that you have a little bit of a passion for that team in San Antonio. I do. Um, I really love the job that Jeff Trailer has done. I mean, I think Cincinnati is the better team, but playing in Conference USA, UTSA has a little bit easier path. That being said, UAB is not going to be any cakewalk. They've really kind of emerged the last couple of weeks and their offense has really found something. So um, I do think if UTSA gets by this week, then they are all but assured of going undefeated. I think Cincinnati goes um, undefeated, but you're saying before bowl games. So they could have a pretty tough out in Houston, assuming yep. Houston is the second place team in the American. Yep. Um, we don't play them in the regular season, but they could – Maybe if they're going to stumble and miss out on the playoff, it could be because of Dana Holgerson's red hot Houston Cougars. So yep. I think that UTSA would have an easier road just because they're going to be the favorite in the championship game. And I think that whoever they face is probably less likely to trip them up than Houston is to trip up Cincinnati. Wax, don't hedge your bet. Tell us who you think. Is it going to be Cincinnati or is it going to be UTSA? Is more likely. Okay. All right. There you go. That's what I want to hear. Uh, that conviction from Mr. Waxman. So, Sully, do you agree or disagree? Who's got uh, an easier or who finishes the season undefeated more likely, Cincinnati or UTSA? You know, Chappie, sometimes Mike can wax poetic. Uh, but right now he's uh, he's really just speaking in riddles. He's confusing us because you know what the real <laughs> answer is uh, is UTSA. Because Cincinnati is going to lose this weekend to SMU. You know, mm -hmm. SMU's put up over 55 points in two of the last three games. Uh, they played really well against UCF last weekend. And Cincinnati's been kind of, uh, you know what, they're, they're looking at the TV. They're looking at the headlines. They're looking at the rankings a little too much. Uh, I think them getting to number three was a huge step for the program. And, and I think that they, they really are, uh, you know, they're upset that they're not that number in the CFP. And I think that they're, 
paying way too much attention to it. And you can kind of see in the last couple of games, uh, you know, they had a, a rough game against Navy, um, that rough game against Tulsa. Uh, South Florida was rough for a little while. Tulane was rough for a little while. I just think that they're ripe for the picking. And I think it happens this weekend. I think it's going to be an upset uh, in Cincinnati. I think SMU walks away with the win. And uh, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough Saturday for the fighting fickles. I, I'm going to gladly go against both of you. I think Cincinnati is more likely to finish undefeated, and I think they will. So here's why. They've got the tougher road ahead. Yes, SMU is going to be tough, but that's in Nippert Stadium where Cincy has played very well under Luke Fickle. SMU, had they been riding a two-game losing streak coming into this weekend against Cincy, I would be more scared. But because they got that bad taste out of their mouth and they beat UCF at home last week, I think that um, they're going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say complacent, but they're going to be a little bit more at ease. Cincinnati is playing with that good pressure. And what I mean by that is they're playing with a chip on their shoulder. And I think a chip on your shoulder and feeling disrespected outweighs high expectations. So all up until this weekend, really, since he has been playing with those high expectations that, yeah, we want you to win, we want you to win. And then they, they don't pound out against Tulsa and against South Florida. Um, people are criticizing them for not winning by double digits. And I think now they come home, this is going to be their last regular season home game. And then they're most likely going to host the AAC championship game against Houston. I think that they're better prepared. I think that their offense and defensive efficiencies are far better than even uh, UTSA. And I think that the, the easier path for UTSA, which I agree, is actually going to play against them. I don't know that they are as battle tested. They've never beaten UAB and they've never won in Denton, Texas, where they close out the regular season against North Texas. Now it might be against the North Texas team who's going to be without Seth Luttrell. He might get let go before that finale. And sometimes you see that that rallies and galvanizes a team to play uh, because people assume that a chicken with its head cut off is useless. But um, I'm not saying that UTSA slips uh, automatically, but I'm putting my money, I'm putting my chips on the Bearcats and Luke Fickle to be undefeated before I do Jeff Trailer and the Cinderella story UTSA Roadrunners. Because let's not forget, Everybody's talking about trailer as the next coach somewhere else. So give me my money on Cincy. Now, question number three, Kenneth Walker versus CJ Stroud and Travion Henderson this weekend. Will the player on the losing team still have a shot at the Heisman? Meaning if one of those, one of those groups is going to have to lose. So will the player on the losing team, are they still up for the Heisman trophy after this weekend? Sully, let's go to you. Well, I mean, obviously, they, the loser would have to put up good numbers, right? If, if Michigan State sure. loses and Walker runs for 24 yards, uh, kind of like what happened uh, a la Leonard Fournette when he went into uh, Tuscaloosa a couple of years ago and Derrick Henry stole the, the Heisman from him. If that happens, then um, then I then, no, then he has no shot. But if, if they both play well and they both do what they've been doing, then I think the answer is only Kenneth Walker because uh, C.J. Stroud certainly has great numbers. But you look at his numbers next to Bryce Young, and there there's really not a whole lot of difference. So if Bryce Young finishes with one loss and uh, C.J. Stroud finishes with two losses and they don't even win the Big Ten championship or even go to the Big Ten title, 
then there's no way he's not going to have a shot to uh, to pass Bryce Young. But with Kenneth Walker being the only running back really in in the running right now, pun intended, then uh, then I think it's it's really his to lose. And if they do lose a game here, or if they end up losing two more games, if he still puts up his numbers, then win or lose, he definitely is in the conversation just based off position alone. But you know, you're not going to get a, a two loss uh, quarterback that's going to beat a one loss quarterback in the Heisman ratings. Wax, what do you think? Um, I tend to think some of what Sully said was right. If the loser, if the losing team, if the spotlight player has a crappy game, then yeah, they probably are out of the running with two losses. But if Ken Walker puts up 165 and two touchdowns and they lose like by four points, six points, he's definitely still squarely in the mix. And the same with, with Stroud. If he does what he did last week and the defense just goes all to hell, and they lose 38-35, he's still in the running because he did what he's supposed to do. So my one problem is, and, and I know this is how it works, but the Heisman is an individual award, and it should not be tied into your team's performance. I know that True. that genie's never going back in that bottle, but by the same token, Stroud's put up great numbers all year. Bryce Young has put up great numbers all year. Kenneth Walker has done it. And they're in major conferences, and they've done it against good teams. It shouldn't matter if their teams are 500 or undefeated. If they are premier players, they should be in the running for the Heisman. So, yes, if they put up a good performance and lose, any of those players will still be in the running for the uh, for the award. Yeah, I think that if if – Michigan State loses. Walker is going to need near 200 yards in this game and against Penn State for him to still have a shot, um, regardless of what the margin of victory is for MSU. But I, however, I think that if Michigan State wins and Ohio State loses, and assuming that CJ Stroud puts up respectable numbers, which he has pretty much every game this season, I think he still has a, a chance for it because a win and an impressive performance against a Michigan team next week is going to look a lot better than a losing Kenneth Walker putting up big numbers against Penn State in his finale. So I, I, I'm, I would tend to think that a C.J. Stroud on a losing Ohio State team this weekend, if they lose, has a better shot than Kenneth Walker, even if he puts up respectable numbers, albeit in a loss. All right, fellas, question four. Who's a head coach that's currently employed as of today, right now, that you see moving on to a new school next year and – to follow that up, what school do you see them at? Give us uh, one person. Wax, who do you see? I have changed my thinking on this. I thought that there was no way that this guy was going to move. But I'm starting to think that James Franklin may take the USC job. I know that Penn State has a really good recruiting class coming in next year with a quarterback from kind of our backyard here in Ohio, Drew Aller, who's really good. Yep. Um, but this is two years in a row now where Penn State has really – um, not lived up to expectation. And he's got to wonder, is his window closed? I mean, Ohio State has had two great recruiting classes back-to-back. -back. Stroud's a redshirt freshman. Travion Henderson is a true freshman. Um, Emeka Igbuga is a true freshman. Smith and the Jig, I mean, they've got so much talent and so much young talent. You have to wonder if Penn State is ever going to break through. The path to stardom is a lot easier in the Pac-12. As we said, Oregon-Utah is the first-ranked matchup of the year. So I would not be the least bit surprised if after the bowl game or even um, a, a few days uh, after New Year's, 
that maybe we see James Franklin decked out in the uh, Trojan red and yellow. I agree. If he goes anywhere, I think it's to USC. I, I don't give him any shot at LSU, nor do I no. think he would fit in there. So, no. But that's not the coach I'm saying. I'm going to jump in here before we get to you, Sully, uh, just in case. And, and sorry if I steal your thunder, but I think Billy Napier is the next head coach at Virginia Tech. Uh, he's so much like Frank Beamer, and that's what those Hokie fans want to get back to. I think, you know, some people wonder, well, would Shane Beamer come over? I don't know that that's a good idea for the Beamer family, nor is it good for Virginia Tech. Billy Napier is established. He's had a linear climb at Louisiana, and um, I think that he's a perfect fit in Hokieville and walking out to enter Sandman. So my pick is Billy Napier, who's currently at Louisiana, will make the jump to the ACC and be the next head coach of the Virginia Tech Hokies. Sully, I hope I, Sully, I, hope I didn't steal your, your thunder there. You did, but I'm going to go in a different direction with that. Uh, you guys <laughs> all, right. all know I'm a big, I'm a big Billy Napier guy, um, but I think that he's going to be the next coach down in the Bayou. I think it, it makes okay. way too much sense for him to go there. Uh, I listen. I know that LSU is the top five coaching position in, in the country, right? I mean, maybe yeah. LSU is not a premier blue blood, but it's a great spot. They the school is all in 100 percent on football. Whatever he needs for recruits, whatever he needs for his uh, his facilities for football, he's going to get. They're always on prime time. It's it's a big brand, so it's a big it's a big big uh, opportunity. So I know every coach in the country is going to want that position. But Billy's in Louisiana. He's got a huge uh, recruiting footprint in there. He gets the best of the best for what he's got and what he's able to offer those guys down there. And he's just a hard nosed, gritty coach. The players love playing for him. It's he's kind of reminds me a lot of Ed Orgeron, just not with the, the crazy deep voice. Um, but he's got a lot of that grit to him. Uh, you you kind of expect him to go and headbutt a player and and rip his shirt off and run across the field kind of like Ed, Ed O does. I mean, that's kind of what you need down there. You need somebody in Louisiana who's going to bleed purple and gold. Uh, and listen, I, I really thought for the longest time that Orgeron was a perfect guy for that school, not just because of his coaching ability, but because when you talk to him, you you think Bayou, right? You, you want to you – like Joe Burrow went down there and he was all in, right? He changed his name on his jersey. Like he was all in because yeah. – when you play for him, you you learn the culture. You learn what it's about. And I think Billy, uh, you, you used the word linear. I think he's he's a linear guy down there. He's he's all in Louisiana, and it just makes perfect sense. Um, James Franklin is never going to coach at LSU. He's only he's only beat a top ten team twice out of fifteen tries. Um, that's not going to cut it in the SEC. He would get eaten alive in the SEC. Yep. Uh, Mel Tucker. Uh, I would love to see him go down to the SEC and get eaten alive, but uh, but he couldn't <laughs> he couldn't cut it, his teeth down there. So I think it's Billy Napier, and I think he goes to LSU, and I'd I'd love to see it. I think I that 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 move well, makes perfect sense, far. but um, I I don't think that he's LSU's number one pick. You look at the the recent coaches that they've had down there; they've all come from Power Five schools: Nick Saban, Les Miles, Ed Orgeron. Um, I just think that LSU is going to try everything they can to get somebody who is coached at the power five level first. And then I, I honestly think that Napier is their fallback guy. And if I'm Napier, I'm saying, I want somebody who's going to make me their number one. And I think that that's Virginia tech right now. And if Virginia tech is smart, they're going to offer him a lot of money right now and say, we need the decisions before LSU comes to you. I'm sorry, wax uh, chime in your thought. No, I, I, I would love to see Billy in LSU. Cause I think he is, he's a star that people don't know about. He's a great coach. And like Sully said, 100%. leads Louisiana, and that would be outstanding. Don't be surprised if maybe Dave Aranda gets looked at heavily at LSU. That's who Go I think they'll go after. Back yep. home, it would be a shame for Baylor because he's really turning them around pretty quick. But I think that with Tucker signing this, this extension, Lincoln Riley is a smokescreen. I think Aranda might be the guy. Yeah. 
Yep. I, I think that that's the guy they go for. I still think they try and make a pitch at Mel Tucker. Let's face it. I know that he's, you know, getting his contact contract restuck, restructured, but loyalty is not um, something that is synonymous with Mel Tucker, right. even yeah. if the, the deal is right there. So I think it's Tucker. I think it's Aranda. And then after that, if those are out of play, because I think Jimbo is now out of play, I don't think that Lincoln Riley would fit in there anyway, because his program is going to go to the SEC in two years. So why would he jump to LSU when he's got a good thing going at Oklahoma, presumably? All right, let's get to the picks, fellas. It is time for our fourth segment where we, the experts, the talking heads, and the thinking heads here at College Football Impact give you our expert advice. And we're going to start in Columbus with a noon kickoff. Michigan State, number seven in the recent CFP rankings, and Ohio State, fourth in the recent CFP rankings. Nothing has changed from the last week. Ohio State is a 19-point favorite at the Horseshoe to kick off our College Football Saturday. Wax, because you're the native... Ohioan will give the honors to you first. Um, I do think that Ohio State is the better team and is more accustomed to the big game setting. I don't think, certainly the game being at home will help them settle their nerves. That said, um, Michigan State, say all you want about Mel Tucker. Maybe he doesn't have loyalty. Uh, maybe Sully doesn't like him anymore, whatever. Michigan State is going to play to the final whistle and the way that they play is not conducive to really getting boat raced. I do think they lose. I do think it's two scores, but I'm thinking like 16 points. It may even be a late backdoor cover or it may be Ohio State extending it, but I think Michigan State hangs around just enough. It's a comfortable win for Ohio State, but not a eye-popping like last week's um, 30-some point win over Purdue was. Yeah, I um, I agree. I think that it is state's going to play them close. Now, Ohio State has won the last five straight against the Spartans, four of them by 20-plus points. So that worries me just a little bit in terms of the numbers. But um, Michigan State plays efficient defense. Ohio State, not as much. Uh, I think Michigan State needs to attack the air. Uh, obviously, Kenneth Walker is going to be the focal point. So Use Peyton Thorne, use your receiver set, and go after that uh, hit-and-miss Ohio State secondary uh, because both of them have a mediocre pass defense. A lot of people badmouth Michigan State's pass defense, but Ohio State's pass defense is just as bad, I think, numerically speaking. And um, so I'm going to take the Spartans to cover the 19, even though I think Ohio State wins comfortably by a couple of scores. Now, Sully, I think you meant to write on the sheet here that Ohio State should duck Mel Tucker. Um, I think you misspelled that, but uh, tell us your thoughts on the Spartans and the Buckeyes. I could not give enough points uh, to Michigan State in this game for me to take <laughs> the Spartans. Ohio State wins this one convincingly, running away by halftime. You already changed the channel, seeing what else is on TV, uh, because here's the, here's the reason why. Last week against the Spoiler Makers, Ohio State had made a, made a huge statement, right? They scored in their first six possessions, touchdowns in their first six possessions. That's not Michigan State football. And I get it. They play a different brand. They're going to slow the ball down. They're going to run the daylights out of the ball. But they're not going to keep up with that Ohio State offense. And and while they've had great quarterback plays so far this season, I think when you get in that situation and you're down 15, 16 to 21 points in the first half, 
you're going to take some risk, and the reward's not going to be there. I think Ohio State's going to come up with some timely turnovers, and I think they want they win this one running away. Uh, I think that this Ohio State team, uh, even though they lost earlier in the season, I think they're motivated, and I think that they they have a task at hand. And it's not just to win games, but it's to win games convincingly. It's to win games uh, dominantly, and it's to blow teams out. And uh, this is going to be an embarrassing loss, and uh, everybody's going to be laughing that. Uh, and when, when they see Mel Tucker go for maybe like the second or third in the odds for the LSU job, they're not even in the odds page. Now, I tell you who, and I hate to say this, but you know who's sitting pretty here is Michigan because Ohio State needs this win. But they also have to prepare for the Wolverines, so they don't want to necessarily show all their cards necessarily, and they don't want to expend every bit of um, muscle and energy in this game. So this is this is a great spot for the Wolverines and Wolverines fans. But... Let's quit yeah, talking you were about giving our ball way too much credit to think that he's <laughs> going to be preparing that fine advance. <laughs> Touche. Uh, all right, let's go to Big 12 country. And the Oklahoma Sooners, who dropped to number 13 in the CFP ranking, some people feel that maybe they don't even deserve a ranking that high. They are giving four points as a favorite to the Iowa State Cyclones. So Iowa State is 5-1 and one against the spread in the last six against the Sooners. Iowa State, I think, is better than people give them credit for. Um, and another thing to point out, neither of these two teams, Iowa State or Oklahoma, seems to play that well at noon, but most notably Oklahoma. They're a better night team, as are the Cyclones. Um, my question in this one is, which Caleb Williams will show up? Now, I know he got stepped on last week, but he still seemed pretty fragile against a, uh, a respectable Baylor defense. I wouldn't call them a great Baylor defense, but a respectable one. Um, and if he can't show up, Will Spencer Rattler redeem himself if he is the guy that comes off the bench? Uh, Oklahoma really struggles against the pass. Iowa State struggles against the pass themselves, but OU is really bad against the pass. I think they're like 111th in pass efficiency defense, which is not good, and I know that they've had injuries back there. 65% of the money is on the Sooners. I'm going to take the Cyclones in this one. I don't know that they win straight up, but Matt Campbell, I think he puts more energy in this game than he does for the Iowa game and the Cyhawk trophy because it's a conference game. And I, I think that they go to Norman, Oklahoma and play the Sooners close, but give me the Sooners to win. But I like the Cyclones to cover. Sully. Yeah, I, I like Iowa State, and I like Iowa State outright in this one, too. I'd even put some money on the money line okay. uh, because here's why. You know, Brock Purdy, he's a senior. This is this is the end of the road for him. Uh, who knows what the NFL holds for him. I'm sure he'll get drafted at some point. I'm sure, he, you know, he could play maybe in a back role. But this is really the end of the line for him as a starter. Uh, and him and Matt Campbell have something special going on, right? We got through Brocktober. Uh, now we're into uh, Brovember, and, and, and we'll see if they're able to put it together <laughs> here. But you know what? I, I, I can never... You, you look at what happened last week when they lost that game to uh, to Kansas State, and, and you know what, Iowa State, they're a team that really gets up for big games, and I think that this is a big game, even though Oklahoma's not undefeated, even though Iowa State really doesn't have a shot at the Big 12 championship, I think that this right now is their season on Saturday, and I think that this is what they've been waiting for all season. I think you're going to see Brock uh, Purdy play the game of his career, not just of the season, but of the career, and I think they win this game outright. Uh, I love Ohio State. I mean, uh, Iowa State getting the points here. All right, Wax, you're putting some some dollars on this one in CFI bucks. Uh, tell us who you got. I am, and the, and and I think that all of the turmoil that surrounded Oklahoma last week um, maybe will loosen them up a little bit. You're right, Caleb Williams got his hand stepped on. You would hope that I didn't hear that there was any like kind of break, so no. I would assume he's going to be okay. 
But the real reason I like Oklahoma, A, I think it's a fairly low number. Four is not an, an outstanding scream stay away number. But right. today, Matt Campbell gave one of the weirder answers that I've ever seen at a press conference where he said that the Big 12 championship was not an aspiration, that it was a more abstract concept in the whole culture of life. What the hell are you talking about? Iowa State is, Oklahoma has been a disappointment, but Iowa State has maybe been the biggest disappointment in the league. And I know that Brees Hall is still a great player. Brock Purdy can sling it. Charlie Kolar is good. I think Oklahoma back home is going to say, look, we got our butts kicked last week. Let's play Oklahoma football. I think they win by about seven. So I'm putting 20 bucks on this one. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I might argue that Texas is a greater disappointment just because of how bad they've been. Not that they've. Yeah, but they weren't so projected bad. to be top ten. Iowa State was project- projected to be seven or eight nationally. Yeah, and, and I thought that they were. Those were really lofty uh, ideals at the beginning of the season. I, I I was one who came right out and said, um, I don't know why Iowa State is being pegged as a potential CFP contender. I just didn't see it. Um, so. Uh, but, you know, tomato, tomato on that one. Let's go to Clemson, South Carolina, where the unranked Clemson Tigers, surprising to some, are taking on the number 10 ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons. So, uh, Wax, let's continue with you. Who do you like between Dabo and Lawson? Um, would it shock me if Clemson wins this game? Probably not. From a power standpoint, a talent standpoint, they probably still are the better team. But Wake showed me something last week in beating a pretty good North Carolina State team. That's a team with a pretty sound defense. And Sam Hartman made enough plays. And A.T. Perry is a real handful. And I think Wake Forest actually wins the game outright by a point. So they're going to go into Death Valley and kill Clemson's aspirations. And this is another one, 20 bucks on the Demon Deacons. Okay, Sully, how do you feel about that? Yeah, so you know what you know what's funny is uh, looking at the bowl predictions for the for what's going to happen in December is if Clemson loses this game, they really have an outside shot to be playing at Yankee Stadium in December, which would just be the ultimate irony of the season if, if Clemson <laughs> ends up playing at Yankee Stadium in the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, but you know what, I like and, and nobody good this. plays in Yankee Stadium anyway, right, Sully? <laughs> yeah, not, not out here with Boston guys. After that's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Well, well, we'll be at the pinstripe ball. They're playing the same night, so we'll be at the we'll be at the uh, the Fenway ball, not the pinstripe ball. Um, right. But anyway, so, so going with this matchup, listen, I thought Wake was going to stumble last week against NC State. I thought coming off that loss to UNC, even though it was even though it wasn't an ACC game, I just kind of thought their spirits may be down. I thought that team really had some CFP aspirations, and they really showed that they uh, that they're focused. That uh, you know. As Sam Pittman says, one loss can't can't give you two. So, you know, they took that off and they, they beat NC State last week. I think they keep it moving. I do think that they're going to have uh, a rough first half. Where we're all going to be like, oh, wow, maybe we should take clubs in this one because I think that front seven is going to give uh, Sam Hartman a little bit of trouble more than he's had most of the season. But that offense can really play. And just, I don't think Clemson can keep up with them. Uh, I like Wake Forest to win this outright. I would love to see Wake Forest win it outright. And they certainly could. I would be shocked in the least bit. But three and a half. I see this being a, a closer game because of you've got a, a great moving offense in Wake Forest against a great defense in Clemson. Uh, so if I'm Clemson, run the damn ball and then set up for play action. You're not going to, DJ Uyunglele has proven he's not going to beat teams and wow everybody with his arm this year. I don't know what's going on. I think it might be something between the ears. Um, 
So I think Clemson wins this by a field goal from BT Potter. And um, so I like Wake to cover the three and a half. So I'm putting the ATS or the against the spread pick on the Demon Deacons, but give me Clemson outright in this one. Wake to cover them. Um, let's go to Alabama. And Sully, you'll take the honors being a, a tied fan. Number two, t- Crimson Tide against the number 21 Arkansas Razorbacks. And uh, previously mentioned Sam Pittman. Start us off, Sully. You know what? They say when gambling, never chase the lost. And I did that, right? I put a lot of money on Michigan State. I was all in on them. I put I put all the chips on the table against Purdue, and they let me down. So then last week, I chased it with Oklahoma. I thought that they were going to go out and drop Baylor, and they let me down. So you know what? Never chase the loss. I'm, I'm a stubborn uh, Irish Catholic. I'm chasing the loss. I put $450, so three times my initial bet on Alabama so I can get not only back to even but get a little bit of profit on this one. I'm taking Alabama minus three touchdowns. Uh, Arkansas is a fun team. Sam Pittman is my favorite coach uh, in the sport. Katie Jefferson's fun to watch. The team's great. Uh, but you know what? There's there's This Alabama team is different right now. They're clicking. They're firing. Uh, I think it's statement time for them. Uh, I'm not sure that the Iron Bowl really uh, gets them up this year. Uh, so I think this is kind of their, uh, you know, their, their big show out and you know, it's not too many more games left in the season. Uh, I think that you saw last week that they even played their starters into the third quarter. That There's a reason for that, right? Saban's getting ready for the finals. He's getting ready for the, the SEC championship against Georgia. He's going to want the guys to get the snaps, get the plays. He's going to want to run up the score. Uh, and he knows in the back of his mind, too, that you know he's going to have to put up a hell of a lot of points just in case there is something that happens against Georgia and they're a two-loss team. You want to have everything in your favor, kind of like uh, what David Rand did last weekend. So I like Alabama big in this one, four fifty bucks for me. And uh, you know what? Let's uh, let's chase them losses. I'm going to agree with you. Um, and here's the stat that tells me why I should. Bama's won 13 straight against the Hogs. Nine of those 13 have been by 21 points or more. Now I know it's a new team with Sam Pittman. Uh, this is a game I want to stay the hell away from. But since we have to pick. And I'm going to trust my gut. And I'm going to trust you too, Sully. Um, you know, great minds can't be wrong three three times in a row. So I'm going to take the Tide as well, giving the 21. Wax, what do you got? Um, my numbers show exactly 21. So I'm kind of like you. This is one I'm staying away from in real life. But if I'm going to make a pick, I think the loss of Jalen Catalan on the back end a couple weeks ago yep. has made Arkansas's really good secondary kind of mortal, kind of average. And... With Jamison Williams back there, he might be able to torch them for a couple of scores. And as physical as Arkansas is, you're not going to be more physical than Will Anderson and Phil Mathis and some of these guys. So I think Alabama, they'll cover the 21. It's not going to be 40, but they will cover the 21. So give me the Crimson Tide. All right, let's uh, we'll, we'll finish off our last two games with some quick picks here because I, I don't know... I don't know that there's much thought that needs to be put in. We all seem to be mostly on the same side. So Cincinnati, number five, they are a 12-point favorite against SMU, who comes off a win against UCF. I'm taking the Bearcats here. I think they're playing with good pressure, a chip on their shoulder. And I think this is the statement game where people say, oh, okay, this is the Cincinnati team we were expecting. This is the Cincinnati team that started off the season red hot. And I like the Bearcats to win by two scores here. Sully, what about you? I'll make it quick. SMU with the upset. Money line, 12 points, whatever you want to take. SMU with the big win. I had a feeling. Wax, how do you like the Bearcats versus the Ponies? I agree with you. I think Sauce Gardner is going to see this as a challenge with SMU's good passing game, Tanner Mordecai. 
might get well acquainted with my Jay Sanders. I think Cincinnati wins by about 16, 30 bucks on this one. And uh, interesting stat, Sauce Gardner has never given up a touchdown in his collegiate career. Pretty damn impressive. Uh, Let's go back to, or let's go out to Salt Lake City for the first Pac-12 ranked matchup of the season and probably the only one. Um, Number three, Oregon visiting the Muss and number 23, Utah. The Utes actually giving three points. So they are the favorite here, which I'm not surprised at. I'm going to take that. Give me Utah. I think this is an emotional win. They're playing for number 22, both of them. And I like Utah and Kyle Whittingham here. Cam Rising has made a big difference since he's come in at quarterback. They've got a good run game, and they play some some stout defense. So I like the Utes in this one. Wax. Um, I also like Utah for the reasons you mentioned, Cam Rising. Also, they beat Oregon last time they played in Salt Lake City in 2018. That was their first win over Oregon in like 15 years. Yep. So they finally got the monkey off their back. And Kyle Whittingham, I don't think the Utah has been quite as good as people had hoped, but he's a really fabulous coach. And I think he's going to tell them, hey, we're going to make a statement here. And I think Utah gets it done, wins by about six. Sully, finish us off here. Yeah, final final two thoughts on this one. The first is that the CFP committee really, really, really got Utah's rank wrong. Uh, forget the way that they they jumbled up Michigan and Michigan State. Utah is not number 22 in the country. They should have put them number 22. How cool would that have been if they were number 22 in the CFP oh, rankings, yeah. given what number 22 means to that bad school? Uh, but but in all seriousness, uh, Utah wins this one. It's the Cannibal Conference. I mentioned in the opening segment. Uh, the Pac-12 just cannot get out of their own way. They can't find that team that can run the table. This time of the season, whoever the best team in the Pac-12 is always stumbles. Uh, it happened two years ago in Utah. We thought they were going to CFP when they had pretty much 22 seniors on the team. Uh, and, and you know what? The opposite happens here. Oregon, Oregon loses. And uh, you know what? I think it's going to be a big win for Utah. And uh, the Pac-12, once again, outside looking in. So uh, give me the Utes. Agree, agree, agree. And, and that's a great point on that number 22. Yeah, big miss, swing and a miss there by the CFP committee. And welcome back to College Football Impact here on the CFP podcast. And a new segment we're going to introduce and add on to the already wonderful product that we're giving to you is BIP's Bet. So a little background. BIP is somebody that I have done a podcast with in the past, very successful, two talking college football guys, and we happen to be related by blood. So BIP, it's good to have you back, man. Glad to be back, Chappie. It's uh, been, a, been a little while, but uh, it's like riding a bike, right? <laughs> That's right. It's, it's been a minute, and I can't remember ever falling off my bike after taking a hiatus from it. So hopefully the, the same goes according to here. So BIP is going to be kind of our our resident handicapper, um, a very good college football mind, specifically with the analytics and reading between the lines and playing the numbers. So BIP, tell us, who do you like this weekend in terms of against the spread, money line? What do you got for us? Well, Chappie, my first game, I'm going to go with uh, Minnesota laying seven and a half at Indiana. Now, originally, I thought the criminally low 43 and a half uh, over under was screaming for the over on this one. However, Looking further into it, Indiana scored seven or fewer points in three of their last four games. They were also held to six points against Iowa in the opener and shut out against Penn State earlier this year. Combine that with the fact that Minnesota has one of the worst passing attacks in the country and the over made me kind of nervous. So shifting to the seven and a half that Minnesota's laying, six of Indiana's eight losses have been by eight points or more, with one of those two close games being against lowly Maryland. 
Um, Indiana's tried to dig deep into their pockets for sustained quarterback play without any successful results, and they played three quarterbacks against Rutgers, and none of them completed 50% of their passes, or over, I should say. And speaking of that Rutgers game, there were six turnovers that helped uh, in that route at the hand of the Scarlet Knights. And while that's not expected to carry over in this game, the Hoosiers were also one of 14 on third down and are ranked 104th on the year in that category. They also rank 107th in the in the country in passing offense and in, in 108th in rushing defense, or I'm sorry, rushing offense. And all of these play into Minnesota's two strengths, their defense and their running game. The Gophers rank 30th uh, or in the top 30 in passing D and ninth in the country in rushing D. So holding the Hoosiers to two scores or fewer should be a realistic expectation. And if that's met, the Gophers would just need to score at least 22 points, which they've done seven times this year. Minnesota's obviously had a mountain of injuries at running back this year, but they continue to churn out production and grounded it out for over 200 yards last week against Iowa, which previously held opponents under 100 yards per game going into that contest. I see Minnesota getting out to an early lead and progressively causing the game to get out of hand as the running game wears out that Hoosier D, and Indiana has no answers offensively. Row the boat with the Gophers on this one. Yeah, and Minnesota's done well against teams from states that have more than four letters. So Bowling Green and Ohio <laughs> State gave them troubles, as did Iowa. So Indiana, yeah, that's multisyllabic. So I would, I, I think that's a great pick. Great numbers for us too, man. What else you got? I got uh, Notre Dame give it, or, uh, laying 17 and a half against Georgia Tech. Now, I haven't been ultra confident in a Notre Dame spread this year until now. Notre Dame's hitting their stride in perhaps two of their biggest indicators of a team's performance, the running game and the defense. Notre Dame's defense, despite having lost Kyle Hamilton, has progressively gotten better and last week limited high-flying Virginia to three points. Now, I know Brennan Armstrong didn't play, but there's still plenty of playmakers on that offense to expect more than just a field goal throughout that game. The offensive line has made major strides in the second half of the season for Notre Dame, which has led to much improved play from Jack Cohn and allowed Kyron Williams to do Kyron Williams-type things. Over their last four games, the Irish have averaged 215 yards per game on the ground, which doesn't bode well for Georgia Tech, who's 99th in the country, giving up 176 yards per game this year. Notre Dame's won five, or their, uh, won their last five, while Georgia Tech's riding a four-game losing streak. And during those last four games, Notre Dame's converting 54% of their third downs, which would rank third in the country when compared to season averages. Georgia Tech, on the other hand, has been allowing 52% uh, conversion rate on defense, which would be fourth from the last in the country when compared to season averages as well. This will also be Notre Dame's senior day at home, and the last three senior days uh, for Notre Dame have, have resulted in Notre Dame winning by 24, 33, and 29, respectively. Additionally, Notre Dame's going to need to score some style points if they want to keep their playoff hopes alive. And Georgia Tech doesn't have much to play for other than playing the role of spoiler, which can be difficult to play against. However, they also have their contest against bitter rival, the Georgia Bulldogs, at home the week after. So if they're going to pull out all the stops, I see them um, doing that against Georgia more so than Notre Dame, making this maybe less of a trap game for the Irish than what you think. Um, I see Marcus Freeman um, planning accordingly for what is to be expected to be a potentially difficult contest against Jameer Gibbs, but as long as they can keep him relatively contained, I see the Irish winning by four scores. Um, and so I take the Irish big in this one. So laying the points with Minnesota seven and a half and Notre Dame laying the points against Georgia tech, another good pick. And if there's anybody who knows Notre Dame football and understands trends, it's certainly our friend Bip here. 
Uh, give us a couple of money line sprinkles you got for us, Bip. Who should we take straight up uh, on that money line? So Clemson's uh, laying four against Wake. I like the money line in this one. Uh, the Clemson defense hasn't allowed more than 27 points um, all season. That's a problem for Wake because in five of their last six games, they've given up an average of 45 points per game. And we don't yeah. count that sixth one because that was against Duke. So <laughs> I, I see that Clemson having enough athletes and enough talent to score against this god-awful Wake Forest defense. I'm not confident enough in the in the spread because Clemson has only had three wins this year with a margin greater than six points. That was against UConn, South Carolina State, and that scoop and score at the end of Florida State, which really shouldn't count. Um, so I like the Tigers straight up in this one, but not confident enough to take the spread. The other one that I like is BC um, laying two against Florida State, which is essentially a straight up pick. I like yeah. BC in this one. They're coming off two straight victories and uh, with Phil Jerkovic. Uh, having returned from injury, that's really given the offense that dynamic element that was missing during his absence. Florida State can't run the ball. Jordan uh, Travis is inconsistent at best as a passer, and BC is third in the country in passing yards allowed. Eagles fly at home in this one. Uh, I take the negative two on here, or the minus two, but uh, depending on how things go, play the money line as well. Yeah, and I think it's a safe bet this year, and really uh, most years, to do any ACC pick taking the money line. So again, money line with Clemson, money line with BC. And by the way, another stat for that Clemson game, Clemson has won 12 straight against the Deeks by an average margin of victory of 28 points per game. Now this is clearly a much different Clemson team than we're used to seeing, but I agree with you. I like Clemson straight up in that one too. And give me the Eagles as well. I like what Halfley does and he's one of the better secondary coaches. So Bip, this has been Good, good info. Hopefully our listeners will take to it and hopefully everybody can be profitable with, with the advice that you give. So thanks for joining us and we look forward to your picks again next week. Bip, good luck, man. Thanks a lot, Shabby. Once again, this has been College Football Impact on the CFP Podcast. We'd like you to follow us on Twitter. You can also follow us on our website, www.cfpcollegefootball.com where you'll get great knowledge of college football from the experts. And please reach out and hit us up with your takes on Twitter. Uh, we'll post this for Sully, for Wax. I'm Chappie. Thanks for listening.